Welcome to Living the Life in Tech, a weekly podcast series with CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders that are sculpting the current tech landscape. Each episode, we aim to provide deep insights from our guests, covering off areas that include leadership, innovation, security, and technology that will assist you and your team in evolving your business. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we would love you to provide us with a rating on iTunes or any other source you may be using, along with subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. We also encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at ciotechasia.com. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Life in Tech. My name is Tyra McGurgan. I'm the CEO of CIO Tech Asia. And on today's show, we are joined by Mr. Ned Lowe, who is the Chief Technology Officer at SingLife, based out of Singapore. So, Ned, great to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Great to be here. No problem at all. Now, Ned, you've taken a very different approach from most people I speak to. And instead of working within a traditional financial institution, uh, you've decided to work within uh, quite a disruptive financial tech startup, which to me seems like a very exciting but uh, challenging role all the same. So can you tell us a little bit more about you know, who SingLife is and um, exactly what role you play within the company? Uh, sure, absolutely. SingLife is a uh, digital life insurer based out of Singapore. We got our license about three years ago, a little bit over that now. Um, actually, the first local uh, license to be issued in, in over 40 years. Um, and, and it's all been about how do we take uh, technology and use it to deliver the best financial services and insurance experience for our customers. Uh, and, and ultimately, we believe that we uh, can unlock the potential of money for everyone. So that's our sort of vision and goal. Within the company, as you say, I'm the CTO, and, and uh, what we've tried to do is use technology to enable our outcomes and deliver you know, customer experience that is more difficult for the traditional insurers to, to replicate. And that comes very much from having a sort of cultural uh, feel that tech infuses everything that we do and, and, and the tech can really um, you know, d- deliver the outcomes that we're looking for. And obviously, as a digital insurance company, I suppose one of the the major benefits for customers is obviously cost. So what was the reason behind starting SingLife up? Actually, I'd say the cost, while, you know, obviously is a nice outcome, uh, is not necessarily uh, the most important thing. And that instead it's about accessibility and uh, ease, because uh, if you have a traditional process where everything's very manual and a lot of paper involved, then just look at now, right? Look at the the current circumstances with quarantines and with social distancing and and, and such like, that meeting your insurance advisor is, is a lot more difficult than perhaps it used to be. And even if you do want advice, you'd want to do that remotely via some digital channel rather than uh, meeting up and filling out a form in in a coffee shop. And so what we're really looking to do is use technology to make it easy for the customer to uh, purchase policies that are relevant to them uh, and and then service and and get advice on those policies after they've purchased it. So I suppose one of the the areas, and and when I do speak to startups as well, Everyone has a different approach as to how they, they go about it. But um, yeah. I think the, you know, the whole move slowly to go quickly um, kind of scenario 
would probably fit in pretty well with where you guys are at. Um, obviously, I wanted to understand sort of how important, you know, delivering to the customer quickly then sort of taking their feedback and uh, iterating that back to them is uh, for you in the business. Yeah, you, you, that's absolutely number one. First and foremost of everything that we do is that if you're not getting real customer feedback and if you're not kind of completed that iteration loop, then you're navigating blind and, um, you know, you use the word uh, go, move slowly to go quickly. Um, I, I think that's a great saying. And what I would interpret that to mean for, for, for myself is that investing in automation, investing in the kind of processes that allow you to take a requirement and get it out into a real product in the market as fast as possible is essential. Um, and uh, I think it was, a, what was it, Abraham Lincoln, right? If I've got six hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening my axe. That we've really had to focus on making sure that we had that foundation in, in place to then be able to move quickly. Because if you're not iterating quickly, if you're not taking customer feedback, then as I say, you're, you're, you're navigating blind. Yeah, and I mean, with... Um Obviously, central focus is is on knowing the needs of um, each of the user groups as well. So, when we're looking at kind of technology in every project, um, you know, it obviously has to start from the user and, and move throughout the organisation. How is your actual business built? So, the leadership team. If you look at a lot of financial institutions and, and banking institutions, they do have that kind of tech background and have come from a, uh, a tech sort of industry itself or certainly understand what can be done and, and can't be done. Where is it sort of the executive team sitting within SingLife? Um, you know, is there a mixture of sort of tech guys versus more sort of uh, business orientated guys or? Yeah, you know, you raise, a, you raise a great point. I talk a lot about culture when I'm uh, talking about fintech and, and things like that. And sometimes it's so easy for companies who are overly enamored with the tech itself to assume that it's the tech that differentiates between company X and company Y. And, and, and that actually, I think, is a misreading of the situation. It also underestimate, like if it was that simple, then, you know, a large traditional financial institution could just go out and buy the same tech, right? There's no, there's, that's a quite a low barrier to entry. And so the question has to be about how do you embrace tech and do you put people into positions of decision-making power who understand what is and isn't possible about through tech? And if the head of your tech and ops per, uh, group is an ops person, which in most financial institutions it is, and if the person below that person is also an ops person and you've got maybe two or three layers of ops before you get to people who've ever actually written code or, or constructed something technical of, of, of some complexity, then of course the decisions that they're going to make are going to be much more ops focused, right? It's just, that's their background. Um, so that's my sort of general feeling on that. Now, now specifically around SingLife, we, we have really quite an interesting leadership group. I wouldn't say for every single one uh, is, is sitting there writing code necessarily, um, but certainly the understanding of tech is, is there and the understanding of what tech can deliver uh, to the highest levels. And they love to geek out, let's just say that. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's essential that you have people who understand tech making the decisions. Now, uh, you know, I, I suppose technology projects in a lot of the uh, the larger Companies generally go on for a, a very long time, often years, yep. because yep. the existing systems need to be maintained and service and 
and, and changes are a major challenge. Um, yeah. What are you finding within your business? Obviously, as a startup, you're, you're quite nimble and, and being able to obviously uh, move with the times. Um, what's the biggest difference you would find um, within your organisation now versus some of these larger players? Yeah, I have to acknowledge and, and empathise with companies that have large uh, traditional um, or, or, or legacy uh, platforms in place. That's very hard to get away from. Uh, I, I worked in investment banking for a long time and, yeah. and some of our systems were were uh, difficult to move away from. They were just so deeply embedded. So, so I'm not, I'm not going to underplay the, the difficulty and complexity yeah, yeah. of that for sure. Now, that said, I'd say that one big difference that we have over some of the other incumbents perhaps is when I talked about getting that customer feedback and that, that loop, I think that that's sometimes misinterpreted by traditional companies. And what they do is they, they declare that they're going agile and they, they, they try to adopt some of the, the elements of, of agile delivery. But what they've really done is split up a, a three month or a six month or a nine month uh, development phase into blocks of two weeks that, where they don't actually release it into any kind of production environment. They don't actually put it into a place where real users can give real feedback. All they've really done is split their delivery cycle up into two week chunks. And to me, that is a pretty dangerous uh, way of, of steering the boat because you spend six months delivering something and then when you actually get real uh, internal user feedback or external user feedback, they say, well, that isn't actually what I wanted. And so now you've got to pivot and you do the same thing for another three months and then you show people, oh, it wasn't quite right. And before you know it, you've spent a year. Whereas if you get real continuous feedback I think it's much easier to make uh, high quality decisions. And if something isn't going in the right direction, then killing it early. You've got some um, offices, just correct me if I'm wrong, in, in Singapore and Philippines, correct? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. You're looking to open up another one um, within ASEAN over the next 12 months? or uh, That's right. Yeah, we, we do have an expansion plan. Details coming soon. Yeah. Um, so so we're, we're, we're looking to uh, expand out and take some of the great products that we built in Singapore and then um, make them available in region. One thing I can talk about specifically is um, in Singapore, our main product, our sort of leading product right now is something called SingLife Account. And the, um, the insight for SingLife Account was that no one wakes up in the morning and says, I really want to buy life insurance. So we wanted to find a way that we could engage and talk to our customers and understand them better uh, in a more sort of high velocity uh, way. And, and Sing Life Account was the, was the result of that. So basically, it's, a, uh, it's an insurance policy where there's zero lock-in. Uh, zero fees. You can put money into the policy whenever you want. You can take money out whenever you want. Um, and then we give a 2.5% return on the monies that are in, in, inside the policy. Uh, and then on top of that, which is, I think, relatively unique or possibly completely unique in the entire world, is... Um, we attached a visa debit card um, to the policy so that if you've got say five thousand dollars in your in your uh, account and you want to make a purchase but you you don't have the cash on hand then you can use the card and that'll be a partial surrender of the underlying policy um again no no, no fees yeah, wow. so um yeah so that, that was our that was our sort of insight into how to engage with with customers more, more now, how many how many other organizations offer that 
I'm not aware of anyone in the world. Yeah. If there's anyone listening to this who can correct me, then please, yeah. uh, <laughs> please write to me. Um, uh, and I mean, I suppose it comes back again to what you said at the start there when you, you talked about it's all about sort of efficiency for the customer and you're kind of building and delivering a, a complete customer experience where they can obviously right. move their money between policies um, in order to receive. Right. Exactly, exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. So, so after we built out the SingLife account uh, as the way of sort of talking to the customer, as you as you quite correctly say there, you then put your other policies and your other sort of types of policies. So, for example, an investment-linked uh, policy for market returns as opposed to a fixed return, and then let the customer move the money around. So you've got ten thousand dollars sitting in your SingLife account, but you decide you want to um, get market returns, move five thousand across into your um, into your the ILP product, then personal conditions change, market conditions change, you decide you don't have that same risk appetite and whoosh, you move your money back into uh, into the main account. It's not quite that simple. Uh, there's a couple of... <laughs> Uh, a couple of steps in between, but that's certainly what we're aiming for. Now, the reason I talk about that in the, in the context of regional expansion is that that concept of building a, a, a product that has a high engagement with the customer gives them a, a lot of value and then putting additional policy types around it to give a more holistic financial experience is, is what we want to replicate around the region. Now, I wanted to touch base around sort of low-code platforms. Now, I was actually right. doing some stuff with uh, without systems earlier this week, okay. um, who obviously specialise in that. But um, that's right, yeah. Well, I suppose that the effect of today's circumstances um, upon most organisations has been, and I suppose, continues to be very significant. Obviously, right. the, the lockdown has shown how systems can be overwhelmed, impacting remote operations. Um, you know, monitoring supply chains or demonstrating constant positive communications within employees and stakeholders. So it is a pivotal time for leaders to relook at their digital strategy and turn you know, their attention to initiatives that may have been you know, previously deprioritized due to uh, the complexity of cost. But I understand you are a big believer that low-code uh, platforms are, uh, are now sort of an alternative option, I suppose, to achieve yeah. you know, positive outcomes with you know, initiatives that are are probably tied more to the strategic objectives. So can you just tell us a little bit more about that and sort of your thoughts behind it as well? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, I'm, I'm definitely a believer. With every day that passes, I think I'm becoming a borderline evangelist, actually. To me, the current situation and some of the challenges are, are, is just a catalyst to an inevitable outcome. I think it was going to happen either way. It was just maybe the speed with which uh, we got there. And the reason why I believe that it is inevitable is it goes back to what I've been talking about a few times through this through this conversation around speed of iteration and, and business user feedback. And clearly the absolute sort of, you know, the, 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 the divide by zero loop is if the business is writing that UI or that flow themselves, right? They're getting, you're yeah. getting business feedback immediately because they're the person who's doing it. And so you can kind of separate your, your pool of people into maybe business analysts slash business people with some sort of uh, technical or scientific background who are building um, front ends, building the way that customers interact with the uh, system, perhaps building the flows, 
and then much more specialist technology people who are then perhaps building some of the machinery in the back end that provides data sets, that does, you know, maybe some kind of uh, data manipulation that the front end, the low code environment then uses as a presentation layer. And, and then even on that back end, you know, there's so many tools out there from the cloud providers and, and from the, the general sort of tech ecosystem out there, but even, even parts of the back end are becoming um, less about writing code and more around linking things together. And so if that allows business users to, instead of explaining stuff to a BA who then explains stuff to a developer and who, you know, if you can reduce that chain to the, to the, uh, the business user just does it themselves, I think there's going to be you know, incredible outcomes that we're going to see there. And can, another question I wanted to cover off as well is the uh, role of brokers, I suppose, with, uh, within digital insurance. What role in the, the future do you see brokers um, continuing to play, if any, with uh, the providers and customers? Well, there's brokers and then there's advisors. And, and, and I think that, that a pure broking uh, model, you know, with technology, et cetera, is, is probably, you know, Never mind insurance. That's just something that's that's dying across the board for uh, any asset class that has liquidity, because you can just use tools to do online comparison or online price discovery. Um, but in terms of advice, I don't think that's going anywhere. And the question then just becomes, how do you deliver that advice? So if I'm a customer or consumer, and I'm I'm not quite sure about whether X is right for me or Y, there's always going to be a question where I want to talk to somebody. Maybe some of that can be automated through you know, chatbots and so, so forth, but not anytime soon. So then the question becomes, well, how do you link them up to an advisor who can give them assistance? And so one of the things that we're playing around with at the moment at, at Sing Life is we onboard people through our direct channels. If someone looks like they, they, you know, they, they can't make a buying decision because they're a little confused or you know, maybe they're waiting too long on a pay or there's a little call to action button that says, if, you, if you're not quite sure, would you like someone to help you? Um, but then having that ability to take those people who otherwise are, are, are a little lost and saying, okay, well, here's an advisor who can give you that, uh, that final piece of advice that you need to take them over um, uh, to becoming a, a full customer. And, and so I, I don't see that going away any, anytime soon. But what I just talked about there about having a little call to action and then um, putting them through to uh, an advisor, that can all be done completely digitally completely online you don't need to organize meetings where you go and physically go to someone's office you know so it's 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 about delivery yeah okay and um obviously the cio sort of down the future and and senior tech leaders um i know look most organizations you know it is happening at the moment and they are sort of part of that the larger piece of the puzzle within sort of business discussions um, within the overall strategy of um, most organizations. But, you know, how important do you see that role of the CIO or, or senior tech leaders, you know, developing in the next sort of five to 10 years with, uh, with most organizations? Yeah, I think that a little bit like I, I was discussing before, it's essential to embed people who can make strong technical decisions at positions where they can uh, have the influence to make sure that those decisions are actually being actioned. And so I expect there to be a trend where where more and more people uh, at the senior levels or the board levels uh, have a technical background or, or, you know, again, when I say technical background, I don't necessarily mean sitting there banging out code, but, you know, certainly comes come from the discipline. And if you look outside of financial uh, or fintech, um, you know, this is just a, a broad 
based trend across the board, I think, that, you know, we, we, we talk about startups and, and then you look at the size of some of these startups, you've got like multi-billion dollar startups. That's not a startup if you've got multiple billion, you know, it might be private, but it's not a startup. And even after that, once, once they clearly get too big to be called a startup, uh, you know, let's say Amazon, then, then people are given uh, a similarly sort of euphemistic or nebulous name, which are a tech company. Now, what, what does a tech company mean, right? Like, I, I don't even know what that term means because they're delivering value to a customer using tech as, as, a, as, a, as a medium or as a, as a way of delivering that value. Um, but but you know, what, what it really means is that they've just accepted the principles of technology into the way that they make decisions. And, and I think that that just becomes um, something that can be applied to any industry or any company. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those those areas. I, I can see it uh, obviously growing as well. And look, I mean, 2030 is a long way away. But um, when we talk about, you know, the issues that have been affected with most businesses around the impact of remote work and, and their the way of life at the moment through COVID, um, you know, yeah. where are you seeing things heading over the next kind of five to 10 years, particularly in the way that we um, communicate and, uh, you know, people do business? 2030 is a long way away. So uh, take everything I say with a Who would have gigantic pinch of salt. We look if we said this if we said this 12 months ago, no one would have predicted yeah, right, exactly. the next exactly. 12 months, right? So yeah, exactly. So so take this with a massive pinch of salt. Kind of what I was saying before about low code. I think that a lot of the outcomes here are kind of inevitable. It's more just around the um, the catalyst of, of how fast it goes, and the current situation has has reminded people or, or woke people up who were perhaps. Uh, not super keen on, 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 well, not even keen, but it wasn't the top priority for them. And now they're like, oh, wow, this is actually needs to be a priority. But I think that the direction of travel was always there, which yeah. is that things will become more and more remote. And you only have to look at the quality of video conferencing that we have now versus even a few years ago. Um, that's only going to increase as we get 5G in place and, and, and so on and so forth that the the quality and the speed with which we can interact is going to is going to increase which reduces the need uh, increasingly for us to physically meet up um, similarly, there's a whole bunch of online tools for distributed work and for for sharing information which um, in some ways are actually better than what we would have had if we'd been in the office because you know how many times have you been in a meeting you're drawing on a board and at the end of it someone takes a photo and then never looks at a photo ever again whereas if you've got it um you know stored somewhere digitally uh, that you can continue to interact with it's actually better than the board in the first place so then if we take that as a sort of an axiom of truth and just start building on top of it then things get a bit crazy is well why would i be paying the kind of rents that i'm paying now when i could live uh, remotely mm. um, or, or further away but then once you start thinking about that well then you've got things like wage arbitrage so everyone who thinks that they're going to make inner city salaries but have the, the freedom to go and live on the beach I think are, are sorely mistaken because the wage arbitrage will just disappear I think it has questions on things like taxation cross-border work you know the very nature of employment changes if everyone's working remotely is everyone a consultant is everyone a contractor so i know i'm going a bit off the deep end yeah, here but you said 2030 <laughs> we're, we're trying to talk tech and we're talking now a whole different area but um I, I, I uh you know there's obviously some great points there raised and i, I think everyone's got an opinion around uh you know where we're going to be in another sort of 10 years but um look last thing i, I wanted to finish off obviously 
I know you like to run. It gives you uh, time to think as well. Have you been able to do much running there in Singapore lately or? Yeah, we, we, we have actually, it's been okay. Um, particularly during circuit breaker, um, which was, you know, the, the Singaporean yeah. quarantine. Um, the one thing that people were allowed to do was, was, was run as long as, you know, you did it in a, in a safe and, and socially distanced way. Uh, and so I think we've actually woken up an entire nation of, of cyclists and runners. <laughs> so, uh, I think more people are cycling and running than ever oh, before, which is, you know, a great thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was at the. Uh, I was actually driving past the bike shop the other uh, the evening, Sunday evening at five to five, and there was a line out the bike shop to uh, to get a bike. So I couldn't believe it. But uh, anyway, the world has changed. Um, very different place we're living at the moment. But uh, Ned, thank you all the very best for uh, for the future of the the role. It sounds like you guys are doing some great stuff and. Uh, quite disruptive in the uh, the marketplace as well. So look, keep up the uh, the good work and uh, really look forward to see sort of where Sing Life goes um, in sort of the next five years. And um, um, thanks again for joining uh, Living Life. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. And thank you for your time.